Chapter number one, a couple of weeks ago when I last spoke, we looked at the uh, temptations from the book of Matthew, chapter four, as that gives a little more detailed account than the writer Mark does in this uh, book. So we spent some time looking at the significance of those temptations that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ encountered there in the wilderness. We looked at the meaning and the reason why, and some of the applications we pulled out of that was, you know, number one, that the Lord Jesus Christ was obedient to the Spirit, because the Bible says that the Spirit led him, the Spirit drove him into the wilderness. It was with purpose, and the Lord Jesus Christ laid out the example to us of being obedient to the Spirit. Because in the book of Mark, again, our theme is the servant. That's how the Lord Jesus Christ is presented in this book. And so as we go through the book, we're trying to see what kind of servant we need to be, how to be the most effective servant for the Lord Jesus Christ. And then part of the, also the application from that last... Uh, Last lesson was that we need to be well acquainted with the Word of God because that was how the Lord Jesus responded to each of those three temptations. We said that He needed a working knowledge of the Scriptures. We need to, uh, we need to really memorize the Scriptures. We ought to make an effort to memorize them, to know the Word of God. You know, David said, Thy word have I hid in my heart. You know, he, he kept those scriptures. He held on to them, Brother Jacob. He had those. Okay, we need to memorize. We need to use the Word of God. We need to verbalize the Word of God in our daily conversations with people. You know, and we're not going to be able to verbalize the Word of God if we don't take time to read and meditate on the Word of God and make an effort to memorize some scripture. First Peter chapter 3, uh, Peter writes, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. So serving the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not like the grocery store downtown or down the street that closes at certain hours and then opens up at certain hours. It's a 24-7 service and therefore to be ready always with the scriptures. We also need to vitalize the Word of God, make it a priority in our lives, a part of our daily routines. Early in the morning, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ went and prayed, and the same for David. He said that he rose up early in the morning. There was some priority that these men were giving us an illustration of. An example of, excuse me. So, you know, and then on top of that, we know to keep in mind that we need to make sure that we rightly divide the Word of God. It's one thing to use uh, the Word of God, but it's another thing to use it right, Brother Lauren. You know, the Bible is a wonderful book, but it's also the most dangerous book. We compare it, we, we liken it unto a two-edged sword. You've got to be careful how you handle a two-edged sword, Samuel. It's, it's not a toy, it's a tool. It's uh, a few questions for you that you can ask yourself when you're 
reading the Word of God is, number one, who's it written to? And this is a big key when we're interpreting uh, and defining a lot of the passages in the New Testament. And a lot of people are getting tripped up because they're not taking into consideration who this passage is being written to. Another question is who's writing it? What's, what's the setting? And then what is the writer talking about? If we, un- if we underline these four descriptive questions, it leads us to a more appropriate, not a more appropriate, but inappropriate, the appropriate uh, definition of that passage of Scripture. You know, people are experts at pulling a verse out and using it how they see fit. Well, that's not how the Word of God was necessarily meant. Okay? You know, the Word of God, we said a couple of weeks ago that we have these chapters and verses, but the translators are the ones that put those there. In the original manuscripts, they were one complete flow. So it's easy for us to pull out John chapter 7 and verse 2, but you don't take that out of the middle of a manuscript. You take it out, it's therefore out of place. We must take the scripture in the context that it is given. So those were just a few of the outlining pointers that we wanted to uh, bring to you the last time we met. And then moving forward in our study, tonight we're going to pick up in verse number 14 of Mark chapter 1. Verse number 14 reads, Now after that, John, this was John the Baptist, was put in prison. Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. Then in the next set of passages, verses here, we, we begin to see the calling of different disciples. And it starts off with, Peter and Andrew, and then James and John. Now, the book of Luke gives us a little more detail about the setting of this particular scene. Okay, here comes the Lord Jesus Christ. He's got a large group following him, and they are, the scripture says, they're pressing him. They are urging him to teach to them. So here comes the Lord Jesus along the Sea of Galilee, And he spots these two ships. This is all in the book of Luke. He spots these two ships that are docked. One of them belongs to Peter and Andrew. The other one belongs to James and John. And the scripture says that they were docked at the shore and they were washing their nets. You know, just, Brother Mark, in their regular daily routines as fishermen by trade. uh, Maybe it was late in the afternoon or evening time, you know, they had been out all day or maybe it was in the morning. This was their regular thing. And here comes the Lord Jesus. And then he approaches Peter. Okay? And he, the Bible says that he prays him to let him teach out of his boat. I found it interesting that the Lord Jesus would take the initiative to essentially ask permission to use another man's boat, another man's piece of property, okay? Jesus is showing respect for the, well, at the time, just Peter. I almost said the Apostle Peter, um, disciple, but uh, 
So he comes to Peter, and then he begins teaching in the boat. And now I wonder, what's Peter thinking? Here he is in his daily routine, and then here comes a man followed by a group, and he's asking him permission to teach from his boat. Really doesn't know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ at this point. The fame of the Lord Jesus was definitely starting to increase in the land, but Peter really didn't know what this man was all about. So here's Jesus. He then teaches from the boat, and then, then after that, he instructed Peter to cast off into the deep. Okay, and then we, we know the story. They go out into the deep, and the Lord Jesus says to cast your net, and they told him, you know, we've been doing this all night. We haven't received anything. Nevertheless, at thy word will I do. I'm paraphrasing the verse. But Peter respected his authority. And so they did as the Lord Jesus commanded. And what does the scripture say happened? They filled the nets. The nets were breaking from the amount of fish that they received. So the Lord in this picture, shows his, uh, his uh, lordship over creation. Okay, and then at some point, Peter and Andrew, they believed on the Lord Jesus. And because in verse number 17 of this book, chapter 1, it says, And Jesus said unto them, Come ye after me, and I will make you to become fishers of men. If you read in the book of Luke, that statement took place after the incident with the fish. So when they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, they were then called by him to follow him. Okay? So when it says that they, uh, in verse number 18, sorry, I didn't read that verse, it says, and straightway they forsook their nets and followed him. So they made a decision. They left their occupation. They were obedient to the call that the Lord Jesus made to them. They put Christ above their daily duties, their routines, and they were submissive to the Holy Spirit. So, the first pointer for tonight is that in order to be a spiritual leader, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And there's really no question about it. It's uh, an unquestionable requirement, if you will. And by the way, Brother Mark, when you got saved, you got as much of the Holy Spirit as you're ever going to get. The question in mind, really, is how yielded are we to Him? How much have we given to Him? Okay? The illustration for this could be like a house. A house has different rooms in it, okay? And the different rooms, they each have their different functions, their different purposes and what they're for. So letting the house represent, uh, figuratively represent us, okay? And then the different rooms, well, one of them might be our financial uh, circumstances. The other one might be our, our friends, you know, who do we hang out with, who do we socialize with. Another room right, might represent our, our job, our occupation. And certainly, probably one of the most important rooms is our family. Okay, we have our family, we have our finances, we just have 
you know, everything that makes up our life. And then in each of those areas, how submissive am I to the Holy Spirit in that particular area? And then the overall question is, does God reign in your house? Does he, does he have, you know, the, uh, does he have the submissive heart from us that he is looking for us? Because, you know, Adrian Rogers preached a really good message that God will not live in a dirty house. He showed that with Adam. He showed it with the temple. And then he showed it with his son because his son on the cross was bearing the sins of the world. Therefore, you know, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It's because in that given moment, the Lord Jesus Christ was bearing the sins of many. Okay? So God doesn't like to live in a dirty house. And so when we clean house, the way Adrian Rogers put it was, by cleaning house, we become yielded to the Holy Spirit. That's what it takes on our part. So what's required to being yielded to the Holy Spirit? Well, it starts off with a daily devotion. You know, that's that time, uh, whether it's in the morning or whether it's in the evening, certainly the Bible seems to give us the, the uh, example that in the morning is best. You give the Lord your first fruits, that first part of your day. Okay? So starting with a daily devotion, the making it a part of our, our routine, setting aside that time to just meditate on the Scriptures, to be, and, and really when you meditate on the Scriptures in the morning, you never know what the Lord's going to give you that morning in your study with Him, and the reason why He gave it to you that morning was because He knew that afternoon you had that decision you were going to have to make. So the Holy Spirit... The Holy Spirit does a lot more, Brother Mark, than we think He can do, but it requires us to be yielded to Him and to have that time with Him, to let Him come into us and fill us, okay? Confessing sin. You know, we talk about confession, but we don't really talk so much about forsaking. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 13 says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy we focus on the confessing but you know me personally even I don't do so good sometimes brother Mark on the forsaking and so if we go and we confess a sin yes I acknowledge this is here and then you press on there's no repentance because repentance is, you know, a good definition for that is to turn that thing around. And it starts by confessing it. It starts by acknowledging it. But then it's asking the Holy Spirit for that strength to forsake it and to move on. And that is where we receive mercy. We're not, according to this verse, we're not going to receive mercy from the Lord if we just confess it and then move on. He's requiring us to confess and forsake it. Okay, that goes back to that Dirty house. And you know, you're going to know... No, I'm jumping ahead on that point. I'm going to save that for later. All right? 
asking for that wisdom and strength at the beginning of the day. Why? Because in a, in a day, you never know how many and what size your decisions are going to be. And we need to have the Holy Spirit's leadership in our life when we make these kinds of decisions, whether it be related to family or finances or your job or anything of that nature. Let the Holy Spirit give you that wisdom. And by the way, the Lord, He is all willing to give us wisdom, but it requires something of us. James chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. So the, the Lord is willing to give me wisdom for my day, but I first have to humble myself. I first have to acknowledge to him that I need more wisdom for this matter. I need wisdom for this day ahead. Lord, would you please give me the wisdom that I need today? And the Bible follows up here with a promise. It's that conditional promise. First we make our move, and then God makes His move. And He will give us that wisdom and strength for that day. Direction for the day. Tough decisions. How do we turn? Uh, how about David? When his men seek to kill him. Talk about a hard place to be, Brother Lauren. All these people that he's been around for who knows how long, you know, fighting together, men really close to him, and all of a sudden the next day they want to kill him. You wouldn't hardly know what to think, you know? And what was David's response? He encouraged himself in the Lord as God. He sought the Lord. He prayed. How about Daniel? When the government told him, don't pray anymore, what did he do? He prayed. And so then going back to these men, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they're being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. They're being obedient to Him. You know, uh, you never know what God's got in store for you. And we later saw where these men were used in large measures by the Lord. And by the way, you know how you're going to do in your Christian walk. How you're doing in your Christian walk is measured by how sensitive we are to the Holy Spirit. We must be in agreement with Him. Amos chapter 3 and verse 3 says, Can two walk together except they be agreed? We're not going to be able to go the path of the Holy Spirit, Jacob, if we're not obedient to Him, if we're not seeking His will about a certain matter. After these men chose to follow the Lord, they... You know, they each were given a certain uh, responsibility, okay? We saw that Peter stood up at the day of Pentecost and preached. And then at the end of that day, the Bible says that there were uh, 3,000 souls saved. So we never know the impact that we might end up having. James and John, Peter writing different books of the New Testament, books that we still have today. Uh, and you know, the thing about seeking the Lord's will and His direction for your life is He's going to put you in the right place. And the reason we know 
The reason why he'll give, put us in the right place is he gives us the grace that we need for that place. Brother Roger preaches uh, grace for your place. The Lord knows where he wants you. He knows how he wants to use you. It starts by us humbling ourselves to his will. And then he will give us that strength. He'll give us those needs. It goes back to Matthew chapter number 6. Take no thought of tomorrow. Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all those things will be added unto you. He's wanting us locked in, focused on him, and he will provide the needs that we need. It's having our mind made up. It really is. How well do you think these men had their minds made up? How about the Apostle Paul? Beaten with rods, thrown in prison, eventually killed in Rome. I would say his mind was made up, Samuel. I would say his mind is made up a lot better than some of us are. And how about Peter? He was killed as well. His mind was made up. How about Stephen being stoned? And as far as we know, according to the scriptures, the last words out of his mouth were, Don't lay this to their charge. So he was steadfast even through his death. These men had their minds made up. The reason why is because they were filled with that Holy Spirit. And they leave us that example as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, it's a lot easier said than done to be filled with the Spirit. You know, the war in the Spirit, I'm sorry, the flesh and the spirit are at war with one another. So if a little bit of the flesh goes in, a little bit of the spirit's going to go out. If a little bit of the spirit goes in, a little bit of the flesh goes out. You can only be 100% full. There's no 90% full. There's no 110% full. You're always completely full. It's just a matter of what are the proportions. And Adrian Rogers said, we know what you're full of because it's going to come out of you when you're jostled. Okay? Let's turn over to Romans chapter number 8. And we'll, we'll wrap up there. Romans chapter number 8. We're talking about being filled with the Spirit. Because when Jesus calls us, He calls us for a reason. He calls us because He has a mission for us. He has something that he wants us to do for him. He wants us to do something for his service. And you know, he doesn't have to use us at all. He really doesn't. So, really, it's um, an honor when you get to do something for the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, look what I get to do to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of creation, the Son of God. And so, being filled with the Spirit, the chapter number 8 of Romans, verse number 5, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So that's a measure on your focus. Okay, If you say that you're uh, full of the Spirit, but all you care about is the things of the world. You don't care about church attendance. You don't care about tithes or missions. Well, really, you're minding the things of the flesh. And therefore, 
we're not full of the Spirit. Verse number 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Well, that sounds like a very logical statement, for sure. We have to be full of the Spirit in order to please God. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. If so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit is life because of righteousness. And that's referring to when we get... When we... Uh, When we receive salvation, when we ask God to save us, and the Holy Spirit then baptized us into, He placed us into the body of Christ, that's what He's referring to here, that if you don't have the Spirit, if you haven't been placed into the body of Christ, you're not, you are not of Christ. The main thing I wanted to point out in this passage, though, is that things of the flesh and things of the spirit and how they are against one another. I had an illustration ready for you and I even went to Academy to get it ready but I couldn't get it to work at home and I didn't want to do that here. But I think because my cup was too small. But if you take a picture, large picture, and you put ping pong balls in there and you fill the picture up with water, okay, Ping pong balls are going to rise to the top and float out and bounce over the side of, of the pitcher. So essentially in the end, you have a pitcher of water and all the ping pong balls are on the side. My cup was too small. The balls were stuck. I had to like pull them out. I wasn't sure how that happened, but I thought I can't do that, so I'm not going to do it. So what happens when that pitcher is full of water, okay, and that flesh, that ping pong ball, if you throw it on top of the water, uh, the ping pong ball just bounces on top and then goes to the edge. It can't get in the pitcher. And the reason why is because you're full of water. And in order for that flesh to get inside, it has to displace some of the spirit. But if we remain full of the spirit and that flesh just remains on the surface, then the decision is easy to push it off to the side. Okay? It was a great illustration. I'm sorry it didn't work, but those are the overall uh, points that I wanted to bring to you tonight in tonight's uh, lesson. Next week, we'll continue moving on. Um, you know, Peter and Andrew, James and John, Actually, let's, let's read verse 19. There was one more thing I wanted to point out here. Verse 19 of Mark chapter 1. It says that... I'll give you a second to get there. Sorry, I jumped pages a little too soon here. Mark chapter 1, verse number 19. And when he had gone a little farther thence... He saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also 
were in the ship mending their nets. And straightway he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the ship with the hired servants and went after him. So Peter and Andrew left their occupation and uh, James and John, well, they left their father. They left these servants who, I mean, if you're in a ship all day with a bunch of men, you might end up becoming buddies with them. So family and friends were no longer the main focus. They put Christ ahead of their own family and friends. And I think for the young people in college, Okay, so, you know, that was, uh, that, that was what hindered me, I felt like, when I was trying to work with some of these other college students, and I would try to get them into a weekly Bible class. You know, one night we had two, the next night we had six, the next night we had three, and it's because they all had other priorities, these priorities, these friends of theirs were they were stopping them from coming to the Bible lesson and not that I you know wanted them to come hear me teach but I was trying to get a weekly routine with them where we all got together and uh, you know I, I I told one guy I said well bring your friends to the Bible study you know if they want you to go hang out with them bring them in here and he said no they've got some plans in town, you know, later, and I was like, oh, okay, I know what that means, yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't have that in the library here at campus, so the friends, these voices that they, that they listen to, and that's another room in that house, is what kind of influences do we have through other people that we know, you know, what are they telling us? As servants for the Lord Jesus Christ, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and not so much to our friends that, you know, when I'm, I'm saying that, I'm referring to friends who have no relationship with God, with people who don't have an interest in the things of God. I'm referring to those kind of friends, okay? Let me make that point clear. So, being humbled, being obedient to the Holy Spirit, to those two requirements are what will place us on the path to do the will of the Father for us, to do what He has called us to do for His purpose. All right? Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank You for Your Word. Thank You, Lord, for, uh, for just uh, what You've done for us, Father, in giving us the gift of salvation when yet we're so undeserving. Lord, I pray, Father, that we would consider how filled of the Spirit we are and help me personally, Father, to evaluate and to measure myself more so, Father, and that we might be able to press on and do the work that you would have us do in these last days. Thank you, Father, for the opportunity to meet together. Pray that you would be with us all as we go through this week, Father. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.